It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Welcome to Heart and Hand, the Rangers podcast, the podcast that isn't going to fixate on one miss. This week on Heart and Hand, for fuck's sake, you were a yard out! Today's show is brought to you by Maitland & Co, solicitors and notaries. Now, of course, we hope that you never need to avail yourselves of legal services, but unfortunately, life isn't like that. And Maitland & Co are specialists in criminal defence and road traffic law, and they come highly recommended from heart and hand. They cover all over Scotland, and they deal with all types of criminal cases, including road traffic law. They appear in Justice of the Peace, Sheriff and High Courts. They are on call 24-7, because unfortunately you're never going to know when you're going to need a lawyer and they are available 24-7 for police station interviews, prison visits, legal aid is available, competitive rates if applicant is not eligible for legal aid and first interview is free. Maitland and Co have represented fans charged under the offensive behaviour at football legislation. So if you ever need legal counsel, the best place to go is Maitland and Co. Get in touch with them at info at maitlandandco.net. That's info at Maitland M A I T L A N D and Co dot net. Zero double seven one four six one five eight four five. That's info at maitlandandco.net. Zero double seven one four six one five eight four five for all your criminal defence needs. Okay, folks, welcome to Heart and Hand, the Rangers podcast. My name's David Edgar. I am your host, and I'm joined this week by two of our most erudite pundits. Joining me on the line from that there London is Mr. Andy McGowan. Evening, David. Did you manage to to leave the city standing and not take your frustration out upon it? I was actually quite glad to fly down this morning <laughs> because it took me out the, uh, the environment of bumping into people I don't want to bump into. No, so. absolutely. Uh, uh, I can, that, that's why I never leave the house. And uh, joining us is, uh, I'm making a very handsome pod lineup tonight with the three of us, uh, I would say. It's Mr. Alexander Staff. Hello, Alex. Hi, I'm David. How are we doing? Uh, I've been better. <laughs> I've been better. But it's... equally, equally, lads, I have been worse. 
and that is something that we will come to. Uh, if you've been living under a rock, then you might not be aware that Rangers lost 3-2 to Celtic yesterday, but I think pretty much everyone listening to this show will be. Uh, in uh, an up and down match, Rangers took the lead after two minutes, wonderful bit of play by Josh Windass, closed down the uh, error-prone Dedrick Boyata, won the ball off him, sprinted clear and smashed it into the net to give Rangers the lead. Um, Celtic come back into it with uh, Tom Rogic, uh, who um, batted forward and hit a, a screamer from about 20 yards. In the process, unfortunately, his follow-through caught David Bates, who had to go off injured. Rangers recovered, uh, and it, I thought in the first half was were looking dangerous every time we attacked. The Celtic defence was at sixes and sevens, and uh, eventually got uh, back into the lead with a goal from Daniel Kandias, close-range shot. After more confusion in the Celtic box, he smashed it into the net. But after that, I thought Rangers maybe sat back a little bit too much, invited some pressure, Celtic had a series of corners. But just when it looked as though uh, we were going to get in at half-time, a long ball over the top is caught out of the defence, then Bailey's got in, um, Wes has come out and he's he's uh, lobbed it over him for two each. Into the second half, Celtic lose uh, Simeonovic to a red card for an elbow in Morelos, which we can touch upon in a minute, but I thought it was a, a straight, I thought it was an absolute stonewall red card. I think he's going to look at him first before he's, he's thrown at the arm. Um, and then a strange thing happens. Rangers, for me lads, instead of continuing to do what they had been doing and what they had been doing for a number of weeks, and I'll start with you, Alex. It was, I feel, uh, and this is just my theory, so you can, you know, shoot me down about it. I felt at that point Rangers players w- became almost paralysed by indecision because it was then that it almost seemed to jump into their mind, like, right, we have to go and, you know, we better go and win this now as opposed to just battling, just playing the game that was in front of them. I thought that they allowed other things to creep into their mind. Uh, they, they stopped doing, they stopped looking so incisive. Celtic, of course, reorganised and sat back, tried to hit the break, which they did do with a substitute. Edward, a disastrous goal for Rangers to lose. He, with so many opportunities to clear it. We then had three guys with the opportunity to show him down the line, but instead all just wandered away and let him turn inside, where he's, again, good finish. And Rangers never really... I think managed to put that... We had a lot of the ball, but I don't think we exactly had their keeper making tons of saves. Even at that, we absolutely should have got a draw because Josh Windass wriggles clear, hits a shot. Uh, The keeper saves. It falls to Alfredo Morelos, literally a couple of yards, but he somehow manages to hit the post rather than put it into the empty net, and that really was that. Uh, Alex, as I say, I, I felt that the sending off... In a way, because obviously, you know, if you're playing up against 10 men, you should have the advantage. But I thought our players, as I say, they stopped playing the game that was in front of them. They stopped playing their man. They stopped playing the opposition. And then they started to play the occasion. And I think that we suffered for that. Yes, to an extent, I think. Indecision is going to be the word of the day, I think, because... Um, not only did, did we have a bit of that, they created some of that with the substitution that they made when they brought Edouard on, actually. Uh, leaving the two up top started to, to leave some decisions for our fullbacks that they weren't too too sure on how to play that, you know. Uh, but ultimately, if you look at the chances we were making in the first half, almost all of them were coming from winning the ball and playing it up the park quickly and hitting Celtic on the break. 
So when they went down to 10 men and they decided to sit in, we had to do something that was completely different. And we know, we've seen all season that, you know, as much as we've got a better squad for it now, we've seen all season that when teams sit in, we struggle a little bit. And this was the strongest team we're going to play, sitting in and then trying to make things difficult for us. So I think as much as I agree, yeah, Rangers' indecision cost them, I think it was the... the, the but if Celtic hadn't went down to 10 men, they don't play that way and we've probably got more of a chance of winning it. I, I also think that if Celtic don't go down to 10 men, that uh, as, as I was mentioning there, Andy, that I think that if they score and go 3-2, I, I don't think, given what I've seen recently, our lads panic the way that they did. Whereas I think when they went 3-2 down to 10 men, you could almost see them going, oh, fuck, if we lose this from here. And like I say, I, I, I thought that instead of keep saying this but they stopped playing the match and they started to play the occasion and they started to play if you like all the stuff that was going on rather than just competing against their their man and even Graham Murray Andy said they stopped doing the things that we want them to do that they're good at which is quick pass and working through the defence we started to put in crosses as Alex said the full backs stopped really knowing whether they should stay back go forward whatever and started just pinging the ball in from deep which if you're got men behind the ball and you've got 10 men you, you love because you just need to nod it away and that's what they did and we stopped doing the things that I think have made us look like a, a decent side the last few weeks Yeah, it was a combination of, of football and um, decisions and mentality for me because when Sabinovich gets sent off obviously I thought to myself here we go, we're, we're, we're in here but about two minutes later I thought Christ, what a disaster it's going to be if we don't actually win this now. And it's that kind of psychological uh, fear that can paralyse you. Mm. Now, I think it did. Aye, and, and, and what we've got, and we often forget, is that overall we have a young team and we don't have what Celtic have, which is a long-term self-belief and confidence built up over a long period. We've had a, a good run, but it's only been nine, ten games. And, and as good as that is, that's very, very different from a team that's went on and won things and came from behind time and time again. Uh, but no, we're not there yet, but it will come. So <clears throat> I was, uh, I, I thought that when, when the sending off happened, um, I, I think Rogers' decision to keep three at the back and two up front was uh, because we only had two men in the middle apart, to be honest. He was able to do that because he had a, a, a superiority in the middle apart numbers-wise. And even my man sent off, he was able to keep that. Um, and we can touch on that later on about our own formation. But I thought it was a combination of we never got to grips with what they did immediately after they're sending off. Never took advantage of it. And uh, we don't have the mentality to actually say, right, let's go in and win this. I think we actually, uh, for lack of a better word, shat it. And um, uh, what we don't have is we don't have players that can pick the rest of the team by the scruff of the neck and say, right, let's go, let's do this. We've not got a golf, we've not got a Barry Ferguson, we've not got somebody that can actually direct the entire team um, and, and affect other players' mentalities. This kind of uh, grit, gritted teeth and pumped fist, if you like. We don't have it. Um, I don't know how you get that into a team. Do you sign a player like that? I don't think they grow in trees. No. But uh, it was really disappointing because we should have drew, right? I think before 
Uh, we went behind. We were playing with a bit of freedom. I think there was not much expected. Um, and the turning point for me was when we were 2-1 up and we flashed Morelis, caught loose on the byline, flashed a ball right across the front of the goal. And uh, as usual, we had a couple of guys just inches away from it. If that had went in, we're 3-1 up, 10 minutes for half time, I think we, we, we would have cruised it from there on. But uh, obviously we know what happened after. I was a little disappointed, Alex, both times in the first half, um, that after getting the goal, we kind of retreated a little bit. And I didn't get it because I think that it was almost like when Celtic equalised the first time, the Rangers players went all right and went on the front foot, you know, and I was really impressed by it. It was like, we're going to get this lead back. We're not going to, this is, we're not doing the same script we've done before. And I was really impressed. And yet at two each, they, they, or sorry, at two one, they then did it again. They then sat back a little bit. And one of my concerns, and I've mentioned it before, is that I think Bruno Alves, who, who did all right, apart from at the third goal, but I mean, you could also say the second, but I thought in the air, he was good. Um, but, I think he sits very deep and when Bates went off and Cardoso came on, Cardoso basically follows, in my opinion, just follows Alves like a puppy and I, I thought then that they pulled us deep and Celtic just sat on top of us for really the last 15 minutes of the of the first half and yeah, we might have got away with it a few seconds more but we didn't and it's a concern for me that I think Alves does pull us very deep yeah, I think it's worth remembering though that both in the case of Alves and Cardoso, it's two centre halves that haven't played an awful lot of football recently. So point counterpoint. Point, point counterpoint. You know, David Bates come in at New Year hadn't played a lot of football previously. He'd, he'd been starting games and such like. He was um, still involved, you know. More, I'd say he, he certainly played more than than Alves has since. Since then, um, at that point, uh, and Cardoso's had a couple of appearances off the bench at most, I think. Um, it's, in fact, since the turn of the year, I'm not even sure it's been as much as that. So, I think it's natural for defenders when they're not feeling their sharpest to sit a bit deeper. Bruno Alves is now at an age where he's not at his sharpest, so he naturally sits a bit deeper. I do, I do take that point. I think that for me, ultimately, games like that are won or lost in midfield. And I don't think we ever, at any point in the game, looked as though we were winning the midfield battle. We were very good at turning their defence, you know, with a kind of direct ball or, or something into the channels. At no point did I think Goss and Docker are bossing this. Um, I, and I, I think ultimately that was your issue. They seem to be a bit... We've spoken about this before with Goss and Docker. They're not naturally defensive-minded. Um, and we don't have anyone at the moment in the squad because of injuries that is that can play in midfield. Mm. So they seem to be kind of stuck between, or okay, what do I do about this guy standing right behind me in Rogic? Or do I go and press Brown and then Cham because that's, you know, going to get us somewhere? They seem to be sort of stuck between that. Um, and it, it just kind of let Celtic get the initiative when we scored, you know, because they would obviously come out and, and look to take it back and that. It was that area I thought was probably a bit more of an issue. Defenders are going to drop deep if you're not winning the ball in the middle of the park, you know? Well, Alex has opened up, I think, the, the key issues here. And, and everything flows from what he just said there, which is about formation, which leads to personnel, which leads to players. So, Andy, I think 
And we all have that, you know, we know this from our, our, our wee podders, uh, WhatsApp group, but we know this from social media, listening to the to the punters that, that get in touch with us, from our friends, you know, we know that there's the bit of debate about what Josh Windass does or doesn't do. Now, I think Windass is an asset. I like him. I think that he brings something to the side that, that other players don't. And I, I'm not saying that you never pick him, you, you use him, there's certain games absolutely you use him but I wonder if there's a shout especially with the semi-final coming up for saying, Josh you're a great player, you're great at what you do however this match calls for us to need an extra body in midfield uh, who's more of a midfielder and if, say for instance, McCrory or Dorans was fit, you put them in alongside Goss and Doherty Um I I don't know if he's quite good enough, and I know Alex has got feelings on this, I'll bring him in afterwards, but I'm not sure he's quite good enough to to say we accept that you're going to do one or two brilliant things, which he did yesterday. He scored the goal and he set up, if you like, what should have been the equaliser at three each. Um, but I wonder if we can then justify having somebody who with the best will in the world for the other 89 minutes doesn't make that valuable a contribution. Yeah, so there's a couple of things there. The first one is that to all intents and purposes, we have now built that team around Windass. I don't think there's any kind of dispute about that. He is absolutely integral to the way we play and how we set up. Uh, and secondly, Murty, for right or wrong, is a wee bit of a slave to that formation. And I can understand why, because it's 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 done well for us. We're, we're a top goal scorers in the league for a start, and that's largely due to the form we've had since Murphy took over and since the transfer window. And it gets the best out of the likes of Murphy, the two full-backs, Candace, uh, that kind of thing. So I can see why he went into the game sticking by the formation that's, that's done us reasonably well. But by the same token, to my eyes, right, and I'm interested in your views, Teams can see how he set up against that because we've seen Kamarnock, we've seen St Johnson, I think Hamlet might have done it. They've went kind of three at the back, giving them an extra man in the middle of the park, and it tells at times. And it's really only a matter of then uh, hoping that the quality comes through. So, for one aspect, Murphy's been brave going back out, playing Celtic with that formation because you're basically going toe to toe to him. Whereas if we hark back to Lisa Walter, he would have brought in somebody a wee bit more solid like the Craig Moore at Parkhead, stuff like that, he'd have made the team harder to beat first and foremost, whereas Murty's stuck by his, uh, his beliefs and, and put his faith in, in Windass. Now, personally speaking, and I, I do not want this to be construed as a, a Windass bashing. No, no. He uh, has changed my opinion on him. Right? We've spoken about this many times in the pod about how we thought of him at the start of the season yep. compared to now. Me too, 100%. Hey, most, most, most definitely an asset. He's contributing greatly to the team. However, he's, he's playing in a position where, as we've said before, it's striker come midfielder. And the midfielder part is pretty much non-existent because he cannot even get close to putting a foot in to the point where um, it, it's a waste of time. And that left Goss and Doherty severely exposed uh, on Sunday. And I think it then showed up Goss that he's not is defensively minded and he's not as strong in a tackle 
on in, or in his man-to-man combat is not as, as good as he needs to be for a, a kind of two-man midfield. So a lot of the time, Josh disappears at the game and contributes nothing, right? Whereas if he had a Naismith or something like that, he would still be harrying, he'd still be putting his foot in, he would still be making himself a nuisance, which is, is never, ever going to be Windass's game. So um, I, I raised the question with a couple of my pals on Sunday, I says, like you've built the team around Windass, he's integral, we can see why it works because it's a good it's a good way to play, it's difficult to defend against when it get, when it goes right. Could we do better? Could we get a better player than Josh Windass in that same position? It just gives us that wee bit extra. And and that's a big question. Because well, you said it yourself earlier, they don't grow in trees. No, but if you if if you're talking about a three and a half million pound player, right, that's what Windass was being touted as a potential worth of a three and a half million or whatever it was. Look what we've just picked up for a million pound in Jamie Murphy or 600 grand in Craig Doherty or 600 grand for Cummins if he stays. There is, um, with proper scouting, there are players that could play in that position and give you the same or more, right? Um, but uh, listen, we've got to deal with what we've got just now. And Windass is an asset, but I think for the semi-final, we've got to seriously look uh, to change that up a wee bit. I mean, if you played Cummins in that position, do you think it would be any worse off? Um, no, but uh, you know, I, again, and Alex, I'm interested hearing your view because I know that you you, you do really like Windass, and uh, yeah, like me, I would say you know, I'm a fan of what he brings. Now, I probably would say I'm a, a wee bit more uh, view him a wee bit more fondly than, than you do there, Andy. I, I think that. Again, you still no, because I, mean, I think you do still need to look at what he did contribute yesterday, which was a goal, which was you know, yeah, should yeah, have been yeah. the other. And these are big moments in old firm matches. And how often have we talked about we need guys that can do the big, the big moment? And and he did do that. But then equally, I get your point. And Alex, I think you even touched on it yourself earlier, where you said we've got these two who. A, it means we we lose the extra man, and B, neither of them are. Although they have a, a range of strength, neither of them are, you know, defensive minded. So, is there a case for saying, look, Josh, you know, nine out of ten games you're absolutely going to play in, but for this one, we need something that you just can't bring at the moment. And yes, it maybe means sacrificing some of that spark, but overall, it's to the benefit of the team. There's not, there's nothing wrong with that argument. I, I agree with that. That's almost, it's similar, obviously a different style of player, but it's similar to, to all those days where he would go right, boy, day. There's no point in playing you in this one, because you're you're going to contribute nothing, you know. So you just sit your ass in the European games and in the Celtic games. You just sit on that bench for me, and uh, we'll, we'll get somebody in to do a specific job. Yeah, it's a I suppose it's similar to that in yeah. many respects. Um, <sighs> I think I tell you what after after yesterday and the way that we hurt Celtic on the break in the first half, uh, and you would imagine that's the way you know to get to them because they're going to come out and play. They would have they would have still been coming out to play if if we were two one up and they went down to ten men or you know they'd stayed with eleven men at two each. They would have still been looking to attack. Is there still been space and behind them to hit? Um, so you imagine they're going to play that way. There's there's a slight temptation to think that a front three of Murphy, Candace and Windass would be effective against them. Um, given especially as well how <laughs> how much much it seems that Morelos has got the, the Chris Boyd jinx and he just can't score against them. Um, mm. 
Alex, counter, right. Alex, counterintuitively, and this is with hindsight, so I'm not in any way saying Graham, Graham Murray got this wrong because nobody would have thought it. I'm just saying that the way it panned out and knowing what we know now, counterintuitively, was the right substitution then taking off Windass and putting on a midfielder, as daft as that sounds? Um, do you know what? Yeah, um, I was actually going to bring this up. Maybe not Windass, I don't know, maybe maybe it could have been. Uh, but counterintuitively, as uh, strange as it sounds, and as much as the fans would have went... Oh, but that's why it wouldn't have happened, yeah. I'm not saying he should have done it, because the place would have went fucking yeah. barn if he had. Yeah, they would have. But there was an argument for players starting, more players starting from a deeper position. For me, what happened when they went down to 10 men and they went deep was that we ended up crowding ourselves out in many respects. We brought on Cummings... Our fullbacks were getting the ball from a standing start high up the pitch when they were getting there. Mm. Our wingers were standing still when they were getting the ball. It totally killed the, dyna- the dynamic play completely. And it's no coincidence that at 3-2, our best chance comes from Windass coming from deep. Bit of link-up play. He's the one busting into the box and getting the shot away. You know, and Morelos obviously should have tapped that in. And it came from a runner from a deeper position because that's the one that's hardest to stop. We, we sort of played into their hands by having so many forwards on the park all looking to play high up the pitch and, and not enough runners from deep. So yes, counterintuitively, I know it sounds daft, but there may have been a, a case for another midfielder coming in, a Holt or Halliday that were on the bench who could have been making runs from deeper and giving them more to think about. Um, who knows as you say it's with hindsight. So yeah, that it's is all, with hindsight. all conjecture as well, you know. Yeah, because if he'd done that, I would have been going what the hell are you doing? So no, I'm not. I'm certainly not going to have a go at Graham Murray for that. Andy, what's your thoughts then on on what Alex and I, I, I was? I was uh, I was actually expecting Windass to come off. I'll be honest with you, uh, because I thought he took off Goss. Right, Goss was never Goss was never a good game at all. No, um, he wasn't getting his passing going. He wasn't winning tackles. There was nothing really going for him at all. Um, but it kind of puzzled me that he took Goss off and then moved Windass kind of further back. I know what you're saying there, he really scored the goal when he burst through, but he was generally playing deeper, taking the balls off the centre half of the goalkeeper on some occasions. And we spoke about character earlier on and grit and everything that you can associate with famous victories against Celtic. I thought Josh kinda he wasn't up to it. He wasn't up to that kind of driving force to take the team forward. Murty obviously has a lot of faith in him and that's fine and and it's admirable to be one to be so um behind a player uh, at such a young age and I, and I did see him turn into enclosure at one point when I think it was a free kick or something that he took and it went over the bar he turned to the, the enclosure to tell him to, to encourage him as opposed to moaning growing mm. but I just felt um, it was a lot of responsibility for a boy that um, I don't mean to be harsh he's, he's the last guy I would turn to that, that for, at 11 when the chips are done and, and I don't know if that sounds harsh to you guys but that's my take on things that he's, he's, his temperament when things go when it go and gets tough I, I don't know if he's, he's up to what we would call a ranger just yet No I know what you mean for me he's a, a, a finishing touches guy he's not a yep. you know a guy that helps you build the house you know he's a guy that comes and decorates it um, I think would be would be how I'd put that Um it's it's a conundrum and speaking of which here's another one Alex Alfredo Morelos who I thought in the first half 
absolutely ragdolled their centre halves. I thought he was everything I like in a striker, which is he was busy, he was physical, he was a a handful. He caused them bother. They didn't know whether to go with him, whether to drop in. He, uh, he you know, as my dad would say, he rumbled them up. Uh, he he had a, a really good forty-five minutes. He did exactly what I like. But that's not what people are going to remember from this game again. And I I don't really know if you can get around that. But what I will say is he looked absolutely physically and mentally shattered by that miss. And I think that the, the, the people at the club this week, the coaching staff, are going to have a job in their hands because he wears his heart on his sleeve. And I don't think he quite has the the McCoy's desk or even the Cummings-esque I missed this one but I'll score the next one and I, I thought the first miss uh, although it was good defending and a good save and he did hit the target but I, I thought the first miss weighed heavily on him and that's something I think he absolutely has to eradicate from his game because I think not only can we see it the opposition can see it and he, he carries he carries a miss on with him at times that he that he shouldn't, but it becomes a thing. And unfortunately, you said it earlier. The Boyd comparison is very good. It's a thing until he buries a chance and buries that that idea. As sadly, yeah. Um, and you're right. Take away the setter because the first chance was was a good chance, but I wouldn't call it a great chance. No, you I agree. Those ones, you see those ones saved probably more often than scored actually yes. that sort of angle which makes Windass's goal you know which was a similar sort of angle um, all the more impressive but yeah there is there is a frustration with him at times I, I'm not quite as concerned by it I think he still tends to to have a good game even you know when he's missing chances he still tends to to contribute it's, it's very rare that he does absolutely nothing for us take away that sitter he actually had a pretty damn good game yes he did but even even he's not going to remember that. That's part of the issue. You know, the fans aren't going to remember it, or many fans aren't, especially the ones whose focus is how we do against Celtic. You know, there's many fans like that. That's that's just the nature of a big club. So, you know, he's now had two games in a row where he's missed the sitters. You've got idiots like Bill Wecky trying to, um, trying to you know, make a name for himself off the back of that. But um, you then... He needs a he needs a goal, but I actually thought first half I thought he was brilliant. I really did. Yeah. Um, he really gave them. You know, he was Boyata was Boyata's a huge boy, and he could not deal with the way Mourinho was backing into him or playing off him. He was consistent. He ripped him to shreds, and it's just uh, it's really sickening that the a pretty good ninety minutes is now going to be remembered for for that. You know. At one point, judged on at one point, yeah, true. At one point in the first half, uh, Boyata tried to pass him on to Ayer, and Ayer said no, <laughs> which I think tells you how well he was doing. That Ayer was like, "Nah, he's making an ass out of you. I don't want any part of that." Um, and Andy, he was doing all the stuff we like about, him, but it's almost, if you like, one eighty from the from the Windass issue that Windass has done nothing for 89 minutes but scored a goal and should have set one up Alfie's done great for most of it but the two big moments he's fluffed 
Um, yeah. If we could get those two to have a baby, we would have one hell of a striker. <laughs> If he scores that goal, then we're talking about him as man of the match. Correct. Um, I, th- I thought he was really fantastic at first half. He ran them ragged. He was taking players on. He was getting to the byline. He was, he was fantastic. Um, but as you say, Alex, it's the goals that count. And uh, I, I have no concerns about him. I've got to be honest. He's a, he seems to me to be a, wee, a dogged wee character. And he's definitely got hunger. You can see that in his play. I'm not saying he's like Luis Suarez, right? But... It's the same kind of street fighter mentality. You, you could see him scrapping with somebody if he really had to. I don't think it'll get him done. I don't think we should drop him. I don't think it'll do him any good. I think you just keep on playing. Because if you keep on playing, he'll score goals and he'll get through it. And I, I said, it was, who did we play the week before? Um, but he missed a couple of ch- Aye, he missed a couple of chances there as well. And uh, I said, well, listen, forget he's 21. But, I mean, it was a bad, bad miss on Sunday and, and the, the magnitude of the game and the impact it had in the final score made it all the worse. But yeah. it's one of those things, we all know strikers that have been like that and uh, you've just got to get your head down and, and keep going. Um, he's too good a player to uh, to um, make it an issue in our party anyway. What I will say is a guy who leaves his home in Colombia to go to Finland and then Scotland to chase his yep. dream has balls. You know, so yeah, absolutely, I think that there's there's some there. Um, before we get back to the game, I do want to touch upon this, Alex. Um, the abuse that he gets from Lecky, I think, is is genuinely sickening. I think it's appalling at best. At, at best, through a very generous reading of it, it's xenophobic. Um, at worst, it's a hell of a lot darker, and I, I genuinely ju- it, it, it sickens me. I find it appalling. It's very strange that, you know, a, a game that Scottish football is on his knees, it needs talking up, it needs, it needs, you know, there's a young guy, as you say, young talented guy, hungry guy, who's deemed Scottish football good enough to propel his career forward. And, you know, his his take on this is, oh, you know, if he can make it, anybody can. And Rangers fans are brainwashed and they thinking he's a good player. And those idiots fell for the... Eight million pound China bid line, ha ha ha. You know, it's just uh, which has paper reported, say, incidentally. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, happy to do so, so they could sell some more there, weren't they? Um, I think he's just. Is he now that irrelevant? No, he's like not. He, uh, no. None of them. I think he's a strange guy. He's a really strange guy. He thinks he's Hugh McIlvaney. He's not even in Archer. No. He's a fucking dick. <laughs> no. He is. He's just an absolute fucking wank. Let's let's not forget this cunt's hobbies are long walks in the rain wearing Converse <laughs> and a smart shirt. Right. So do you know what I mean? Uh no wonder his wife left him, cunt. Anyway, uh we'll get back to far more important matters. And uh, namely of course uh, the, the the game and we're talking here, lads, tactical breakdowns, you know, mistakes of forward, can we fit this guy together? Uh, even at that, you can't lose goals, Andy, the quality that we lost, because that's just, you're not going to get anywhere if you're losing, particularly the second and third, which were just nightmarish. Yes, you can tell to all three good finishes, but the second and third goals were really, really poor from our point of view. Yeah, it's um, I, I, I've 
I'm going to say a couple of things that my fellow Bears might not like to hear. But if I'm probably not privileged enough to be on this, this uh, podcast, and there's no point not saying it. Celtic are a good team, right? I think... Uh, <laughs> Fucking typical! <laughs> Even Alex wouldn't say that. Publicly. Am I Ah, but publicly. <laughs> publicly. I think, I think we've got to... Um, and I'm quite good at this, and Alex, you're quite good at this as well. He's taking a big, big, big step back and looking at things in not even the whole, but like a five, six year perspective, right? The Celtic have um, got a pretty good squad, an exceptional squad by Scottish standards, right? That's why they are where they are. We are roughly where I thought we would be uh, at this stage in the recovery, right? And I always thought if we go back, I mean, we're talking about the nuances and the minutiae of a 90 minute game, and that's natural, right? And in a game, we can sit down and say, right, we should have won that, and we should have, or we should have drew it. Um, but if we look at it in, in the context of a season or seasons and the whole thing that we went through, um, we're, we're roughly where we should be. Because I'm a money man, right? I always look at accounts, because if you look at any league through the world, if there's a team. Um, Playing above their station financially, it's the exception rather than the rule. And uh, we will not be able, in my mind, to compete with Celtic as we used to compete and win things and be dominant until the turnover of the park is back to roughly where it was. Because what we've got is we've been severely handicapped and at the same time Celtic have been supercharged because they've had a, a, a more or less a monopoly on the Champions League money when it's never been more lucrative. And and with, this is my opinion, right? We simply cannot talk about um, Rangers and how we compete against Celtic without taking that, at least into consideration a wee bit. Uh, their, their turnover at the last books was 90 million. Our turnover at our last books was 30 million. Mm. Uh, we've got a turnover for wage, sorry, we've got wages of roughly 36% ratio, right? That's very, very low. So we had a wage bill of about £11 million. I think it'll be a touch higher now. I think it'll be closer to 15 Celtics is, they don't actually declare it, but it's going to be about two and a half, three times that. You've seen the benches on Saturday. And mm. the first thing I said when I went down to the ground and seen the teams, I said to the guy beside me, says, they've got a very strong bench. Uh, and is it, it actually proved that, didn't it? They, well, they brought yeah, in a guy that won, it, yeah. um, won the game. Yeah. So you've got to take that into consideration and although it might, I always thought that the easier part was getting back up to the top league. The hard part was always going to be our support naturally stomaching uh, defeats and occasional horsings for Celtic and being able to ride that emotionally, psychologically and keep their, their eye on the prize, which is back to health, full recovery, winning the league. And, and we're, we're getting there. If you've got the fundamentals in place, you, you have to have some conviction at some point. And this is where I, I still think Murty's... I still think Murty's going to get a job. The same with feeling like a big bearing on it, but I still think we have the fundamentals in place just now. We've got a decent director of football. We've got a decent style of play. We seem to be looking at the right types of players attacking football that we can all uh, play the football and like to watch. I think we we need to come out games like yesterday and say, well, do you know what? Our hearts, it's a stinger, it's a gutter. However, you've got to keep the chin up, you've got to keep moving forward. There's nothing else for it. No, I, I, I wouldn't disagree with that. Um, 
Alex, I'm going to kind of uh, maybe use you to make a point, <laughs> but, you know, um, based off uh, sort of one of my personal sort of bugbears. I think a lot of our fans, and I've, I've spoken about this on this show numerous times, uh, are far, far too critical of David Bates. And I think that he doesn't get given the benefit of the doubt that other centre-halves at the club do for some reason. I thought that his uh, his absence yesterday after he went off did affect us and did affect the game. And I think that you'll never know this, obviously. It's just you either believe this or you don't. So I, I can't prove this to anyone. But I felt that we missed him yesterday. We did, yeah. Um, not just for his defending ability, but as I say, just for someone who... Earlier on, as I mentioned, Cardoso and Alves don't have a lot of football in them of late. So, even in that respect, we missed Bates as well, just with a bit of stability at the back. I think, uh, I think if it's Bates in the situation with Dembele, that Cardoso was in at the second goal, I don't think he gets out muscled quite as easily. Now, I'm not, I'm not fully on board with this whole idea that Cardoso is weak and easily bullied and all that sort of stuff. Dembele's a big strong boy and he does it to most defenders right? and I get that Cardoso has some weaknesses that way I just think the Bates would have probably been a little bit better at that he's also a little bit quicker so you know there's a chance he gets on the right side rather than being a yard behind it um, yeah it did it did make a difference I'd like to just go back because ultimately the overall point is you know the defending and we can't really be letting in you know you can't let in three goals like that um, even the first goal had had a couple of issues in the way that Rogic was able to get the space that he did. Mm. Um, can't let in three goals like that and expect to win a game. You <laughs> can barely expect to draw one when yep. you're letting in three goals like that. I think uh, ultimately Andy's point is worth bearing in mind. But we're up against a good team. We've made some big mistakes. Big good teams punish you when you do that, you know. Um, there's, there's other games this season where we'll make similar mistakes in the quality of player. Um, it just isn't there to. Oh, because it was issue. it was three good finishes, you know. Oh, yes, yeah. terrible mistakes, but three good finishes. Definitely, yeah, and you know there will be, and I'm sure if we look back, you'll see other mistakes that we've made this season in games. Well, you know, it's comparatively hell, possibly even worse. Um, but the players just not taking advantage of it, and that was you know that was the biggest difference for me. And this is ironic coming from me, the guy who does the, the pre-match pods and loves guesting on the. The tactics pods and all that. There's a slight danger of over-analysing yeah. this one. <laughs> um, I think this was a game of individual mistakes and unfortunately we made a bit more than they did and we got punished for it. I, I, I do think it was more down to that in that 90 minutes. Andy's point, you know, the broader point is well worth taking into consideration. You mentioned it yourself, David, as well in the past. This is a two or three month Graham Murray project yeah, yeah. against a... Yeah four or five year Celtic project. There was only three players Celtic started yesterday that Brendan Rodgers has signed in his time there. One of them, Scott Bain, wouldn't have been playing if Craig Gordon or Doris DeVries was fit. You know, mm. well, DeVries was a signing as well, but if Craig Gordon's fit, one of them doesn't play. There's a good chance he only starts in Cham and in Belly at his own signings. So the rest of that team's got years of experience together that we just don't have at the moment. You know, so they actually have given them the game that we did. And to still come away with a feeling of we're not actually as far away as we thought. No. 
it was, a, it was probably more of an achievement than it feels like in the immediate aftermath, you know? Yeah, and I think you see by the way that they've celebrated it and by the way that they have gone on today. See, Celtic fans are fantastic for showing you what they actually think, even though they're telling you something else. And their utter glee is because we're closer to them um, than they had expected. Certainly, I wouldn't have blamed them if they thought that after the first game of the season. And that that leads me on to my next point, Andy. That I said this yesterday and I stick by it. Anyone who watched our first game against them this season and watched that yesterday and doesn't think we've made progress, I'll have to agree to disagree with. Yes, we still lost and a defeat is a defeat, but I think that's quite a binary way of looking at it. Um, I think that's overly simplistic. There's no doubt that we give Celtic a tougher game. There's no doubt that Celtic know they're going to have a tougher game in a couple of weeks because the really encouraging thing for me and yeah, I'm, I'm an actual optimist and I look to take encouraging signs out of it. I'm not quite Warburton-esque on it. I don't close my eyes to the to the bad points. But it wasn't a case of, well, we played as well as we could and still couldn't beat them. I thought we could do better. And the manager certainly thought we could do better. There has been progress made. Or am I deluding myself? No, undoubtedly there's been progress, David. I don't think anybody can argue with that. And that, that is where I can, and I mentioned in my wee mini rant five months ago, it's where we are just now is where I thought we would be at this stage in the game. Um, how many points did we finish off from last year? 36 or something? Yeah. It was, it was a lot of points. I don't points. think we even want to talk about it. <laughs> Aye. So we're now within nine points with a game in hands, right? That's, that alone is an improvement where starting to solidify Touchwood the second spot which is something that we thought would have been done kind of very very easily um, and again it comes down to steady but sure progress and we were talking about the benches there you're talking about Bates going off if we have a better bench then somebody better than Cardoso comes off the bench to, to, to replace Bates if we have a better bench and someday uh, we've got other options other than uh, uh, taking goss off and you know, messing about with things and moving people about. The, the strength and depth just isn't quite there compared to Celtic. Now, I, I quite understand that getting beat off Celtic and being second to Celtic at anything is unacceptable at Rangers. And believe me, that's the way it should be. And we should be held to the highest of standards regardless of our financial situation, regardless of anything at all. However... It's not realistic. And we've got to make sure that we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater because we got beat off Celtic uh, and, and we get a wee bit hysterical and angry and look for scapegoats and uh, abandon, as I call them, the fundamentals which we are starting to get in place on and off the park. Alex, Andy there spoke about that we're where he kind of roughly expected this to be and I'd, I'd sort of agree with that, but with one caveat, which is... I didn't expect us to be there. I, you know, at the start of the season, yes. December, no, because we looked a million miles off that. And the the progress that I spoke about, I think, has been almost entirely made in the post Christmas period. And I think that that's where Rangers' improvement really has been. Because up to that, we were capable on the odd day of, you know, a good result, but we were equally capable of a, a St Johnston at home style performance and you never knew what you were going to get whereas now 
I think that there's a justifiable confidence that Rangers can go out and, and beat these teams. Against that, there is the argument that, yes, we've been knocking off the, the smaller teams, the teams we would expect to knock off, but that's now Hibs at Ibrox, Celtic, no points. And that... <laughs> it's almost like the, the, there's this grey area. It would be nice if it was black and white that Murty was either ideal for the job or a complete, you know, no hoper. And there's not. There's evidence for both arguments, and I think that that's what makes it difficult. And I want to talk to you two guys about this because I know that sometimes I may give the impression that I have the answer to everything, and on most things I do, but. There are there are things uh, I, I I am arrogant, but I'm not arrogant enough to uh, not take the opinions of people I trust on issues that I admit uh, I need to I need to think about, and I I don't know, and where this leaves Graham Murty, I'm not entirely sure. So I want to hear what you guys think of this because I do see progress. I do think we're much better to watch. I think you know the the way he has the team both playing and looking. And competing is a lot better. I think that he's a talented manager and will develop into a talented manager. Against that, there are things that he gets wrong. And I think substitutions, and yesterday was another case in point of that. Taking into account what Andy said, though, there's also the weak bench. So, you know, (laughs) there's so many grey areas with this guy that I really don't know. What I will say is I felt you know, this time last week, that he had to win either this game or the semi-final to get the job, and I still believe that. Um, but what are your thoughts on this? Guide me. Help help clear this up for me, Alex. Um, my thought, well, twofold. Firstly, we need to be... And I'm not saying you weren't, you weren't doing this, it's just, just in general. We need to be fair about our assessment of Murphy and understand where he actually is, you know? Um... So, so yes, it's fair to bring up the Hibs game and the Celtic game. For me, we, we actually performed pretty well for a good chunk of the Hibs game, let's be honest, at least the second half, if not a little bit more than that. And I don't think the performance was one that, as you say, we could have been better, but I don't think people were gutted about the performance or angry about the performance yesterday. We were frustrated at missing a, what looked like a really good opportunity to get the win. So even in these two defeats since January, there's been some signs of progress. I know that sounds crazy, but there you go. Um, it wasn't exactly the St. John's or Hamilton at home or anything like that. No. Um, and against good teams as well, you know. Um, so, so, so that again adds to this grey area. So, firstly, yeah, let's let's just be fair as to where Murty is. For me, we were willing to spend a million pound in compensation at least. Um, Rumours of a little bit more than that for Derek McInnes, plus whatever wage he would have been on. I'm not entirely convinced Eric McInnes would have a better record from January than Graham Murray's got. No, I don't think so either. I, I, I don't think he would have. I, well, he I, certainly I wouldn't think... have beat Celtic. Yeah, well, I mean, if you take his time in Aberdeen yeah, so far, he, the bigger he, matches are the ones that yeah, he doesn't do that. He's not good at. Yeah. Um, so, so I'm not convinced. So, so maybe okay, maybe Graham Murray's around a Derek McInnes level manager. Yeah, maybe that's been generous. Obviously, no, McInnes has got so. a longer CV, but I don't think so. You know, I think that's fair. It could be round about there. So the question then becomes the second part of my point. And the managerial position, this is something that football clubs, probably more so in the UK than in Europe, that football clubs seem to be a bit precious about. They never seem to make a change from a position of strength 
Um, and the best example I can think of was was when Pochettino came in to, to Southampton. Yeah. If you remember, it was Adkins he replaced, wasn't it? Yes, and everyone went fucking tonto. Everyone went mental because everybody thought Adkins was doing a great job, and he wasn't. He wasn't like doing poorly. It wasn't the sort of replacement that normally happens. But Pochettino took Southampton from good to very good. You know, yeah. um, they've never really been quite as good since he left, and that's understandable. He's a top manager. Southampton looked at it and went, well, we've got a good manager here, but here's a great one. We can get him now. Let's go and get him. That's the way a managerial position should be looked at. It should be looked at as a, as a player position. Daniel Candace, I love the guy. I think he's great. He's done a great job for us, and he'll probably finish the season as one of our top players. But if it turns out there's a better right-sided midfielder out there in the summer, and we have a chance to sign him, we sign him. Yeah, you know? I, I think this is the same for the managerial position. If we can attract somebody better than Murty, as long as we are fair as to what Murty's level is, then for progress sake, you kind of got to say, do that. You know, you can't really let that um, sort of traditional thinking or, or any sort of sympathy get in the way. You know, to me anyway, because you wouldn't do it with a player. You know, Graham Murty wouldn't do it with a player if he was offered a cracking player. He's going to replace one of the guys he's got in his squad with him. Yeah. He would do it. You know, and I think a managerial position has to be treated like that. So for me, it's about, yeah, let's see where Murray actually is. And I think we'll have to wait to the end of the season to, to fully judge that. Um, and then, well, who's actually out there? Who is available to us? And is this the best we can do? And you're, I think the people who say we can do better, as long as you can prove that, I think they're right. I think they're right. I think that's an absolutely brilliant point and I think you're just spot on that there's no point making a replacement to make a replacement to get in a bigger name in inverted commas manager for the sake of it but equally if you can get a better manager then it would be negligent not to so no I, I thank you I think that is a crack you have cleared coming up for me well, well done Alex Andy your thoughts on Murty's future no, I, agree, I, I agree with a lot with what Alex has said and I'll, I'll try not to just repeat it with different words but well, and I've said this before, Murty is on the longest job interview in history and it's a wee bit unfair on him because I think if he was another manager that we'd appointed on a two or three year contract, I don't think we'd be talking about whether they'd be here or not next year. No. We, we would be here because we would be uh, kind of signalling towards the, the good things that have happened. If you had a, if you had a kind of evaluation of his key performance, um, the things he gets measured against, recruitment along with the director of football, has worked. Yes. Uh, team harmony, style of play, um, by and large results. Okay, I know we've had Hearts and Hibs uh, and Celtic, of course, but by and large we've won games with a bit of style as well. Um, I still think that yesterday's kind of hurt him a wee bit because I think if he'd won yesterday, then he'd have been a stick on. So there is a far, far greater weight on the semi final now as far as Murphy getting a job. But Alex is hit the nail on the head. He's only as good as who else we've got as an alternative. Mm. And I think way, way back with Kishinya, I said, if we get rid of this guy, we have got a problem. Because who do you bring in? Because we've more or less said that this guy that comes in, the next manager Rangers, has to be of a British or, or British background and know the kind of football that's played here. And there is nobody, to my mind, unless somebody wants to tell me, that is jumping out as an outstanding candidate for the Rangers job. And, and that is a problem you've got, is that if you don't go with Marty, then the alternative needs to be able to do what he has just done and more. And I think Marty's done a very, very good job. I think he's he's, uh, 
he's done everything that's asked of him and I think uh, you can see about his substitution yesterday, right? You can see that about more than yesterday, a couple of games before, we've all kind of questioned that he's either taking too long or made the wrong substitutions. He shows a lot of faith in the players on the park and I don't think they're quite up to it. It goes back to what we're talking at the top of the programme we're talking about character and leadership and stuff like that and that only comes with better players and experience and becoming a wee bit more battle-hardened. And you, you, Davey, have made a good point in the past about talking about up-and-coming players and how good it is to find them and nurture them and, and mould them in your own kind of fashion. And you, and you likened Murti to that as well. Mm. As in, we might have just got a wee rough diamond here that uh, could could mature into a fantastic manager. And of all the bears listening to this, are thinking, I, well, I don't mind a manager cutting his teeth at Rangers, but um, it might be worth it. Uh, the semi-final, I think, will be pivotal. That's a huge thing for me. Is I, I do think Graham Murray's a good manager and I think he's going to develop into a really good manager. And do we have the patience to put up with 18 months of a guy making mistakes like he did yesterday? And I think he did. But do we have the patience for a guy making mistakes? And I, I personally would say that, yeah, I probably would. But I understand the, the real politic of the situation is that the, the support in the main probably wouldn't. And therefore... It's all right me saying we should do this, but I've got to be realistic about what is going to happen. And the fact is, is that the fans won't wear that. I think long term. But it, 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 like I say, it's such an intriguing situation. As as happens with Rangers all the time, it's very rarely is anything particularly black and white. What is black and white though is the need to bounce back. And uh, don't know about you, lads. I was gutted that we didn't have a midweek fixture this week. It would have been, I think, ideal, but. We've got Kilmarnock on Saturday. Will not be an easy game, but equally, it's one I would expect us to win. And I think it's a pivotal game because it, good teams bounce back. And I, I have been impressed with the mentality of the Rangers team since Christmas. However, if one defeat throws them off their off their stride, Alex, then it's no use to us at all, and then that will reflect badly on the manager. It would, yeah, it would reflect badly on most of the squad who are starting to build up, you know, a bit of goodwill from the fans as well. So, I mean, it can happen. We know it can happen. We've seen it with better Rangers squads than this, that a bad defeat in the next game, they're a bit flat and it doesn't quite work. What tended to go our way is that we had good enough players to drag us through a, a poor performance, you know. Mm. Um, I think they'll bounce back. I think we owe Kelly as well. You know, I think we owe them a bit of doing. Agreed. In truth, uh, not an easy thing to do. Um, since Steve Clark came in, he certainly made a big difference there. But the, the one he's draw cost Kashinya his job. Ninety fifth minute nonsense. You know, the two one game it, 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 we were horrendous at Rugby Park. But one of those goals is Chris Boyd just sticking his foot and hoping for the best. You know, <laughs> there's been a wee bit of bad luck with some of these you know, these two games against Kelly, and we owe them. So I would hope that. I don't know if you guys noticed at the end of the game yesterday, and there's a good chance you probably didn't. I tend to, me and my boys stay and tend to try and clap every Rangers player off the park. It's just a wee bit of daft tradition we've got. No particularly major reason for it. It's not daft. Um, yeah, yeah, it's just one of those things. But at the end of the game, you had Alves and Cardoso and Tavernier, and I can't remember who the fourth player was. It may have been Jason Cummings, but I doubt it. 
they were just standing in the centre circle. Celtic fans are celebrating. Their players are doing their usual shit as they do whenever they get even a draw against us. And Alves is just directing things. I'd, I'd love to know exactly what he was saying, but it was almost as if these guys were just standing there going, soak this in a little bit, see how bad this feels. Just, just remember it, you know? Because mm. we're going to take this going forward and we're going to turn it into this. It just you know, some players went straight down the tunnel, absolutely gutted. These guys seem to just take a little minute to to dissect it there and then, and, and sort of understand how it felt. Because I think, I think that's probably the most gutted. James Tavernier is now in our squad, one of the most experienced players we've got for old form games. That just shows you how new a squad we've got, right? Um, I think that's probably the most gutted he'll have come off the park after the defeat today. Because um, yeah, because only only known that we blew it. I mean, but when, yeah. when we got blown off the park by them, it's heartbreaking. But there's not that, if you like, that pang of regret that fuck. You know, we we blew that. And that that was what I thought yesterday yeah. at the end of that match was like we let them off the hook. Um, we should have got that win. And so it's a different type of gutted. It's like a gutted with an added side of frustration um, that, that yeah. comes in for a defeat like that. Andy, I think Alex has, has got made a good point there again that you know that, that that this is what good teams do, and we're wanting to develop into a good side that you use the disappointments to ensure that you don't run into as many of them again, and that the focus this week on the the, the camp should be can't wait to get back into this, and I'm you know we're going to put it we're going to start putting it right, starting with Kelly on Saturday. It's, it's hard, far harder to, to use that kind of motivation and, and the, the kind of the pain that I felt on Sunday. It's far harder to take that into the next game if you don't believe that you're a good team. And I think in the past, we, I think our players knew deep down they weren't in a, a good team that was capable of winning any game that they wanted to win. I think it's slightly different now. I think we know we've got a good team that when we turn it on, we can not only beat teams, but we can give them a wee bit of pace in it if we want to. So I think there's an underlying belief in the the squad that can recover from setbacks like Sunday. I really do. Um, and Alex is right. We do all come on. Come on, fire firing all cylinders. So even on Saturday, I've seen their highlights and they, they seem to be going great guns. But we should be beating them. And... Uh, if we play to our capabilities, we will. What does still kind of worry me is what we touched upon earlier, the fact that we're, we're just a touch predictable in terms of formation and we'll probably see the same kind of thing happen on Sunday, uh, Saturday, sorry, where they'll play maybe five across the middle and and it just does make it a touch harder for us if the likes of Josh or other players don't turn up. So, um, no, I've I, I touched on this at the last point. There is a bit of... Um, Resilience now, not only in the squad but in the support. You see it in the attendances. You see, you feel it in the away games that we're far more able to bounce back for setbacks, which are always going to happen, right? But we're far, far better and more able and more confident at coming back for things now than we were before because I think we knew that the team just wasn't right. Whereas now I think we know that the team is progressing, getting better. And has a lot of promise that should bode well for the future. 
Now, just before we, we finish up for tonight, there are, uh, over the weekend, there's the usual round of politicians. Uh, so Patrick Harvey uh, of the, uh, the SNP Light, sorry, the, the Green Party, was uh, getting on, on his, his high horse, as, as people tend to do, because old fun weekends give... give uh, People who don't like us the opportunity to get tour into us, and of course they don't really need any um, any second invitation to do so. But what kind of annoyed me was that after the usual rush of condemnation of Rangers fans for sins that were imagined, because plenty of it was made up, and you know the thing that the Sinclair incident as well, where it was deserved. But Russell Martin footage emerges of Russell Martin being abused uh, in a sectarian manner by Celtic supporters uh, as he was out shopping. Now, first of all, regardless of football allegiance, if you're the type of person who just walks up and abuses a total stranger because he plays for a different football team, you are a cunt, right? And there's there's no ifs, ands or buts to that. That is who you are. If you walk up to a guy who's just out shopping and you start on him, then uh, you need to take a look at, at your life. But what pissed me off, Andy, was the fact that had this happened the other way around, and we saw this over the weekend, that it's you know into the papers, politicians are out talking about it, it's being used to further points about how Rangers fans should be punished in ever more elaborate fashions. When it happens the other way around, silence. And Rangers fans have to actually go to the papers and say, will you cover this? And basically have to demand, make enough noise that they do. It pisses me off something chronic. Yeah. No, there, there definitely seems to be a, a proclivity for politicians in this country to open their mouth when it suits. And it's, and it's, it's not to condemn Celtic, Celtic supporters and their actions. I think if we go back to the, the game at Parkhead and the refugees and all that kind of stuff, and, and repeated banners with the word hun on it and everything else that just passes by without comment, um, they, they either speak up for everything or nothing at all. There's part of me thinks that really we should just ignore these idiots and, and, and let it ride because the papers, and we've spoken about it in the past, David, they sensationalise and they create a sectarian industry. Uh, sectarianism industry, I should say, and uh, they give, uh, they add fuel to the fire. Now, what happened to Sinclair is a disgrace. It doesn't matter who you are, who you support, you shouldn't be doing that. And, and likewise, with, with Russell Martin, that is a disgrace. Um, and you're spot on. If you're the kind of person that acts like that, then you're just, you're not worth, you're not worth talking about. But there is a responsibility on the part of the people that have got power the politicians they seem fit to speak up about anything to do with us uh, but sadly false silent it's anything to do with uh, overt terrorism support or uh, implicit terrorism support it just washes off them um, so I don't know how you change that because that's not something you change overnight all I can say is if you vote for them you, you read what you sow so um, that's my wee soapbox for tonight Alex I think we are the easier target uh, for Definitely. various reasons that you know many of which we've spoken about on this before. Can I just take a second, by the way, very very briefly? When David was was going through this earlier, he, he used the line or oh, the Scott Sinclair thing, which was deserved. 
just to clear up to any of you people oh, yeah. who have been frothing at the mouth ever since, he's not saying Scott Sinclair no, deserved God, it. No. He's saying the coverage was deserved. Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> no, no, Scott Sinclair did not deserve that abuse. Uh, 100%. Let me make that very clear. Um, but yeah, no, just, just you said, that, the, coverage, the coverage of it was deserved. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Um, and that's my point, would, Alex. That's my point. I don't want them not to cover stuff like that because I'm not saying, well, it's a Rangers fan, you shouldn't mention it. I'm saying that, yes, mention it, but then when the exact same thing happens to a Rangers player, it should get the same level of coverage. It should, yes. Um, as I say, we seem to be the kind of easier target. I, I actually think one of the, the bigger reasons for that is that Celtic fans are certainly it seems to be a bigger number of them share a political and sort of political and social mindset I, I don't mean to sound elitist or, or, or anything like that about that but it, you know you can imagine you could walk into any place with Celtic supporters and 90% of the people in there are going to have voted yes for Scottish independence you know they're going to be SNP or Labour <laughs> And the Rangers fans are a good bit more diverse, I think, mm. with that. Uh, we, we're given the impression that we're not, but I think we are. I do, I think we are. So so we're a wee bit an easier target because you can have a go at us and you'll get full support from a larger block of people who will just, not blindly, but, you know, it's just what they, what they do. Whereas the other way around, uh, yeah, Rangers fans end up arguing with each other more than anybody else, yeah. you know? Um, We're a broader church, definitely. There is much more of a group think goes on there, and there's much more identity politics goes on in the Celtic support than goes on with us. Because you're right, um, and that I think pisses me off. Grab was one of the reasons I started the pod was that the, the representation of us um, is is a falsehood, and you saw that with complaints about certain images about Rangers. Oh, far right, and I'm like, how the fuck do you know their politics? But it's basically because you have decided, ah, well, they are Rangers fans, ergo they must think this. Whereas we know that that's bollocks and that the Rangers fans is a very broad church politically in terms of their, their, their social beliefs. There's, a, there's an added backdrop here in, in the offensive behaviour bill is obviously on its death throes and the likes of Harvey and uh, Mary Hunter, they would quite happily see it retained. And the way they want to see it retained is by highlighting things that suit their agenda. And that's where we come into it, because mm-hmm. it's only things that we do that would suit their agenda for maintaining the offensive behaviour bill. So we've, we've kind of passed through the looking glass a long time ago with this, because you had an offensive behaviour bill that was brought in and championed and pushed by the usual suspects, basically they hurt us as we all know, and then when it turns out it actually hurts them as much, if not more, in terms of uh, the songs we're choosing to sing that were deemed political at one time and they're not at all, they've actually managed to mobilise and get the thing fucking booted out now. Mm. So it, it just shows you where the kind of the influence and the power that can be uh, called upon, um, not by us. Because they've managed to bring the bill in, have it tested, uh, turned and say, ah, don't, we don't like this now, let's get rid of it. And then useful idiots like James Kelly will, will do it on their behalf. So there's a, a huge backdrop at the back of it, and that's where Harvey and, and Hunter come in and use us again as a political football to, to further what they would want to see. Yeah, maybe we need to, to unite behind one political party and maybe we could start it. 
podcast part, the, the Rangers podcast party because what we would need would be a charismatic leader, um, and and I'm I'm, ju- I'm right here, you know. Um, just, fuck no no leader. I said you know I'm, I'm hardly going to send Robin out when Batman's sitting in the cave. Um, but you know, just so long as they understand that I don't usually get up to about twelve. Uh, I don't like leaving the house, and uh, I'm not working weekends. So, so long as all that's fine, then I'm quite happy to run Scotland. Okay, doc folks. Uh, well, as always, let us know what you think. You can get in touch with us uh, uh, on social media, uh, on Twitter. We'll just go through this quite quickly. I am uh, at ibroxrocks. Alex is at Strider eighty. Couldn't remember there for a minute, could you? Oh, I've got a fear for me. <laughs> <laughs> and you can also read more of Alex's thoughts. Uh, tell them where they can find your blogs, Alex. At rangersnews.uk or forwardsadadream.wordpress.com. Uh, and Andy, they can find you at? At Bob McPhail. And could you please tell the punters who maybe don't go on Twitter but heard the story a few weeks ago about your disgraceful loss <laughs> of the medal given to you by Bob McPhail that it did have a happy postscript? It did because my dear old mummy emptied her house upside down and found it. Fantastic. Now, when you giving me it? Never. Well, what? I, don't, I, don't, I don't see why. Yeah, you didn't fucking think you had it for I'll, I will at least look after it. Uh, no. A compelling argument, but uh, <laughs> just a straight refusal. Okay, though, I'd like to thank our executive producers in London, Mr. Mike Lee and Mr. Paul Myers. Paul's a West Ham fan, incidentally, so uh, I'm looking forward to hearing uh, what went on on Saturday. <laughs> that one. Um, we got bad press, lads, but fuck's sake. <laughs> you know, it's uh, we, we we I don't think we would do it. Can you imagine if we did that? By the way, we're talking about politics in Scotland. Oh my God, uh, yeah. the, the noise that would have happened this week. And I'd like to thank. Our... Can I just... Yeah, go on. I was just going to say we obviously don't have Scott anymore for this, but I think if we had a Sporting Integrity Award this week, the guy that owns PAOK in, in Greece. They come on the park with a gun because the goal got overruled by VAR. <laughs> that's um, that, that's got to be a winner. But I found what, what I found beautiful was there was a line that someone made right after that. If that happened in America, footballers would be being played with guns in their shin pads, <laughs> sealed webs and shit. That's the way to deal with that, supposedly. Yeah, the only way to to stop a bad guy with a gun would be to have a good chairman. With a gun um, would, would seem to be the yes. would seem to be the NRA position on it. Um, I'd like to thank our sponsors this week, uh, who are Maitland and Co. Criminal Defence and Road Traffic Law. Um, find out more information on them at maitlandandco.net, and that's M-A-I-T-L-A-N-D-A-N-D-C-O.net um, for all your criminal defence needs. And uh, the full advert with all the information will be on at the end of the music, and obviously you heard that at the start. Thank you very much to my two guests this evening, the ever-wonderful Mr Andy McGowan. Pleasure, baby. The always brilliant Mr Alex Staff. Thank you, gentlemen. Always a pleasure. My name's David Edgar. I have enjoyed talking to you. I will be back again on Thursday. Remember, though, if you want to hear more from us, more from these two, more from everyone else on the pod, just visit us uh, at our Patreon site, which is patreon.com forward slash heart and hand, where you will get three shows all about the gels every day. And uh, people seem to like it. So come along and see us only one ninety nine per month. But if not, we'll be back on Thursday with a Kilmarnock preview. Till then, thank you for listening. And remember, we've lost to them before. We'll probably lose to them again. 
again, but we're coming. They fucking know it, and we are the people. Take care. Bye. Today's show is brought to you by Maitland & Co, solicitors and notaries. Now, of course, we hope that you never need to avail yourselves of legal services, but unfortunately, life isn't like that. And Maitland & Co are specialists in criminal defence and road traffic law, and they come highly recommended from heart and hand. They cover all over Scotland, and they deal with all types of criminal cases, including road traffic law. They appear in Justice of the Peace, Sheriff and High Courts. They are on call 24-7, because unfortunately you're never going to know when you're going to need a lawyer and they are available 24-7 for police station interviews, prison visits, legal aid is available, competitive rates if applicant is not eligible for legal aid and first interview is free. Maitland & Co. have represented fans charged under the offensive behaviour at football legislation. So, if you ever need legal counsel, the best place to go is Maitland & Co. Get in touch with them at info at maitlandandco.net. That's info at maitland, M-A-I-T-L-A-N-D and co.net. 07714615845. That's info at maitlandandco.net. 07714615845 for all your criminal defence needs. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.